Did you know that studies have shown affirmations can profoundly influence your psychological well-being, enhancing self-confidence and reducing anxiety? Here at Positive Birth Australia, we have crafted a 20-minute birth affirmations track filled with soulful, carefully curated affirmations to empower, inspire, and guide you to deeply remember the power you hold within. And to my fellow belly birth mothers, we have created a track specifically for you to honor that all birth is a sacred moment of profound significance. For only $5, you can download and immerse yourself in our affirmations track to transform your mindset in the lead up to birth and during labor, serving as a potent reminder of the inherent power and love you possess. Visit us at www.positivebirthaustralia.com or head to the show notes and follow the link provided to start your journey toward a more empowered birth experience. Welcome to Positive Birth Australia, a podcast created to empower and educate mothers along their own pregnancy journey. Each week, I'll be sharing insightful and inspiring birth stories and advice in the hopes to help you create your own positive birth experience. I'm your host, Sky Marie. Let's get into today's show. Welcome back everyone. On today's episode, we hear the two contrasting birth experiences of podcast host Liv. Being in a same-sex marriage, Liv and her wife used a sperm donor to conceive their babies. Having great luck with conception, it was a turbulent pregnancy that eventually led Liv to consider an induction. Amidst the cascade of interventions, she was able to push back on the recommended cesarean and ask for more time. A choice that helped her avoid surgery, but not the birth trauma that ensued. When it was time to conceive their next child, she refused to give away her power this time around, choosing to dive deep into birth education. Continuity of care and the completion of a hypnobirthing course set her up with the tool she needed to manifest the birth of her dreams. She takes us through the surreal moments experienced as she felt natural labor for the first time and how she and her wife made choosing a sperm donor a fun and intimate process. Enjoy the episode. Liv, welcome to Positive Birth Australia. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Could you just start off by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, my name's Liv. I uh, live on the Gold Coast with my wife, Cleo, and our two little boys. So we've got Patrick, who is two and a half almost, and we've got little Charlie, who is one month old. Beautiful, little freshie. Now, obviously, these were planned conceptions. Are you married? Yes. yes. Yeah, we yeah. are. Um, we got married three years ago. Um, and yes, um, obviously, uh, very, very planned um, very, very wanted. Yeah. Nothing accidental about these two. <laughs> <laughs> so what does that process look like when you're in a same-sex marriage and you are using sperm donations? Do you get to choose what sperm you use? Yeah. Do you want to take us through that process? Yeah, so um, we did uh, choose our, our donor. Um, so we have used the same donor for both of our boys, which we're really lucky oh, cool. um, to have been able to do. Um, and we used an, uh, an unknown donor, so we, they're sort of anonymous to us, but um, through the fertility 
program that we used, mm-hmm. we uh, we we sort of described it as like um, Tinder for sperm donors. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Which um, we before we conceived Patrick, we just sat down together in front of the computer and um, we had some cocktails and we just looked mm-hmm. through all of the available donors. Uh, and we made like a real thing. Yeah, I love that. And is it, you know, do you get all of their medical history? Do you get photos? Like what does it actually look like, the content yeah. that you receive? Yeah, so we got a, a childhood photo of our dog. Oh, cool. Um, and, uh, yeah, medical history and uh, like what they do for a living and their family medical history. It's it's a really detailed um document so i think it was about six or seven pages of information that we got and yeah it took us a little while to choose uh it's a big decision obviously and we really wanted to sort of choose somebody with similar um i guess characteristics to cleo because i was the one who was going to be carrying um and yeah, I think we were maybe three weeks in and they like uploaded some new profiles of um, donors and Cleo was at work and I just so happened to stumble on this uh, on this one guy and I called Cleo and I was like, this is the one. Wow. Um, so yeah, that was our little start to our journey. Yeah, cool. And at what point in your relationship did you both decide that you would head down that path to conceive a child? Because, you know, in any relationship, it's such a massive decision to make to enter that realm of fertility and all that it encompasses. It is. It's huge. Um, I have always known that I've wanted kids. Uh, so it was never really like a question for me. Um, I think we talked about it pretty early into our relationship we'd been together gosh maybe five years before we got married oh no not that long maybe three years before we got married um and we had talked about having a family and it was always just sort of a given that I would carry um Cleo has absolutely no desire to um to be pregnant or give birth and I have um and like I've always wanted to so it was um yeah, it was never really a question about that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. What did your fertility experience look like? Mm. Yeah, we um, – it's sort of hard to, to say this and be sensitive about it because we were incredibly lucky. Um, we didn't really have to um, go through a lot of the uh, – I guess the processes that other – uh, couples have to with the fertility stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, we did what's called IUI, which is intrauterine insemination, and it is basically a lot of um, couples who are deemed socially infertile, which would uh, pretty much, I guess, only include same-sex couples. There may be other um, there may be other demographics in there, but I'm pretty sure it's just um, same-sex couples. Um, usually would start with IUI before going to IVF. Um, and so IUI is just, uh, it's for want of a better term, uh, 
like the, the, the turkey baster. Like it's oh, um, yeah, it's just okay. a very um, yeah, it's just a very um, straightforward procedure. Um, like the doctor, the, the medical professionals were still involved, obviously. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, we. <laughs> um, Does that process require you to take hormones? Yes. So yeah. the first, um, the first time we didn't use any medications, and we were unsuccessful that time. We didn't fall pregnant that time. The second time we did do, I did seven days of hormone injections, and then a trigger shot the night before the procedure. And um, we fell pregnant with the passport on the second try. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, and then when we were ready to try again for, for our second pregnancy, we only had one um, We only had one try, which was successful, and that resulted in the pregnancy with Charlie. So, we, yeah, we, we were very lucky. Yeah, that's amazing. And how was your pregnancy with him? Um, so I would say... It was pretty anxiety inducing, like the whole um, the whole process of being pregnant for me was just I was just anxious. Um, I think like I had wanted it so badly for so long um, that I just couldn't control the anxiety that something would go wrong. Um, And so. I, I was quite sick, like I, I was sick from week six to week 40. Um, the last time I vomited in that pregnancy was when I was in labour. Yeah, and actually same with the second, um, same with the second pregnancy. Yeah, that would have been so rough. I've only ever had it for 12 weeks and even just that was so debilitating and such a struggle. Yeah, it's, um, it's pretty awful. And the first, so in my pregnancy with Patrick, um, I wasn't actually diagnosed with hyperemesis um, and it wasn't until after that I uh, spoke to some people and I was told, yeah, um, that this is what you had. Uh, and then we were able to get on top of it pretty pretty early with my second pregnancy and I was quite heavily medicated um, and had some inpatient admissions um, in that pregnancy as well. Um, yeah, just to try and manage it all. Um, but besides that, uh, the first and second trimesters in my first pregnancy were okay, um, besides the sickness um, and the anxiety. The third trimester, I really struggled. Um, it was during COVID. Uh, or, yeah. Um, and, yeah, I struggled not with mat leave not looking like what I thought it would look like. And, like, I think when you picture mat leave, you think of, you know, coffee and brunch dates with your girlfriends and baby showers and uh, and all of that sort of thing. And, and, you know, there are a lot of people who missed out uh, on that in that time. And we, you know, unfortunately were one of the couples that missed out. So that was hard. And then towards the end, I developed really bad, um, like, um, pelvic pain. Uh, so from about 37 weeks, I pretty much was almost immobile. Um, I was just, like, walking around. I was able to walk around the house. Um, but by the end of the day, I was, yeah, uh, yeah, basically immobile. 
um, just in so much pain. And I, it's really sad thinking back on it now. I was just crying all the time. I was probably a horrible person to be around. Um, I couldn't sleep. I would stay up all night. Um, I remember I would stay up all night watching Geordie Shaw, um, <laughs> which is bizarre. But um, because I couldn't sleep, that was just yeah my way of coping yeah so at my 39 week appointment with our midwife she Cleo came to the appointment and Cleo hadn't been able to get to many appointments um prior to that because of work um and at the 39 week appointment our midwife asked how I was going and I just sort of said oh yeah you know I'm I'm fine um and Cleo said no you're really not um yeah yeah you've and and she sort of explained to our midwife what had been happening you know um I wasn't eating because I was so sick I, I couldn't sleep um I was in so much pain I was crying all the time um and yeah that was when we sort of started talking uh about the option of being induced which um I hadn't really considered until until that point yeah I'm just curious what was your perception of birth during that pregnancy yeah okay so I think this is probably where um I maybe went wrong a little bit the first time I had a very um I would say naive perspective where I was just sort of of the notion that women have been doing this for millions and billions of years how hard can it be um and I didn't want to go in with a plan because I just sort of thought well nothing's going to go to plan anyway so I might as well just go with the flow um we didn't do any education Uh, like our midwife because we were with the midwifery group practice our midwife um you know did just sort of the, the usual um education that you get antenatally um but because it was in COVID they weren't having the group sessions it was all sort of online um and I guess I just really didn't take it take it in mm. I, I guess my plan was to not have a plan. yeah right so rewinding back to your 39 week scan you're for the first time considering having an induction yeah so um induction I guess itself um, brought on its own anxieties because I um, hadn't really come up with a plan, you know, or anything. Um, but I did have a bit of a, like, I think when you think about your birth, you do sort of have like an idea in your mind of what things are going to look like. And for me, um, when I pictured giving birth um, and, and going into labour, I always was picturing, we, we lived in this beautiful little um like workers cottage and um I always just pictured being out on the deck in early labor and and you know just hopping in the shower and walking around the house and just yeah spending some time sort of at home before we headed into the hospital and so the idea of being induced was very um oh like I'm not going to get to have that time um you know to just relax and, and prepare um, and I also, I think, had a bit of a feeling of failure. Like I, 
like my body wouldn't be able to do it on its own. Um, and so that was, yeah, that was a big consideration for me. So we spent about a week, well, it ended up being, yeah, because I had the appointment at 39 weeks where that was raised um, and I was 40 weeks and two days when I eventually was induced. So it took us that long to sort of life on the Monday morning um, and just saying, um, hey, okay, let's do this. Um, yeah, let's do it. And she was like, okay, we'll come in at 4 o'clock this afternoon um, and we'll get things started and then um, – yeah, so it, it all sort of happened quite quickly from the point that we decided, yes, let's do this to um, to actually going in and starting the process. Yeah. So we went in at four and the plan was uh, to be, they would, they would check me, they would probably uh, put the balloon catheter in, leave that overnight, Cleo could go home for the night and then in the morning um, start the drip and just start the process from there. Um, and I think by that point we were actually just excited. We were kind of like, oh, yay, we're going to meet our baby. This is, you know, um, we're going in now and then by tomorrow afternoon we're going to have a baby. Um, and I didn't really think much more about it Um from that point like it was just exciting um so yeah we got in at four and um for a, a number of reasons it took quite a while for them to to get the balloon catheter in um and then uh, straight after we went from the treatment room where they had put the balloon catheter in into the room where I was going to be staying overnight and Cleo was sort of getting ready to head off just you know we were saying our goodbyes and I stood up to give her a hug and my waters broke in a big way like just like you know in the movies when um when there's just a big gush mm -hmm. um yeah so it was like that and I <laughs> at first I was sort of like oh I'm I'm weeing myself um but it was a really weird feeling because um like it, it just wouldn't stop and, and Cleo was like, it's not we, but that's, yeah, that's your waters breaking. Um, and then Cleo noticed that um, it was like a brownie sort of green colour and we knew that that wasn't necessarily good. So we just pressed the, the call bell and the nurse, uh, the midwife came in and, yeah, she said, okay, yeah, that's your waters. Um, there's a lot of meconium in them. Um, we're going to need to go straight down to uh, to birth suites. So, um, yeah, so a funny story about that is um, I refused to be in a wheelchair. Like I, I just did not want to use a wheelchair. Um, and so I had a towel wrapped around me like a nappy and I was in the lift going down to bed suites and I must have looked absolutely ridiculous. Like, in hindsight, why I didn't just sit in a wheelchair. Um, but, yeah, I just and, – and because, like, obviously there was still just amniotic fluid and meconium just, like, pouring out. So, yeah, it was, um, it was a really good look for me. <laughs> oh. Is there any particular um, reason you don't like wheelchairs or um, – 
Oh, I have no idea. Like I said, in hindsight, I would take the wheelchair in a second. Yeah. <laughs> I think I just didn't want to feel like I was out of control, immobilized, or like, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I was trying to assert my independence in a really weird yeah. way. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we went down to birth suite and I had already started contracting on my own. Um, but they, uh, they started the drip, um, pretty soon after we got down there and things sort of went from zero to a hundred really quickly. Um, the contractions that I was having were like just one on top of the other, um, like really just completely back, back to back and all in my lower back. Um, so we tried using the TENS machine and that was just doing nothing. If anything, it actually was irritating me. Um, so we took that off and then I was just trying to move as much as I could, but I was sort of frozen in one position, just like leaning over the head of the bed. So the bed head was up and I was just leaning over it. Um, and yeah, I, I was just in a, a world of pain um, and it got to about a bit after midnight and I remember just whispering to Cleo, I think I need an epidural and my midwife's ears must have pricked up. She was on the other side of the room but her ears must have pricked up and she said, yep, I think you're right, like I, I think you do. Um, so I think I had asked, that's right, a couple of hours prior I had said, what can I have for pain relief? And um she said what what are you thinking what because I don't think that they're allowed to actually offer you pain relief unless you sort of ask um and I said I don't know just Panadol or something and she said I think you're a bit past Panadol mm -hmm. so yeah a couple of hours later I yeah I said that I thought I needed the epidural and um and my midwife called the anaesthetist and um they came quite quickly and the epidural was just the absolute best decision that I had ever made at that point. Um, yeah, I think I wanted to marry the anaesthetist. Oh, I bet. Um, because unless you've experienced that drip, it, it's really hard to understand the level of pain those contractions are. Like there's no rise and fall like a normal surge. It's just like this out-of-body excruciating pain. Oh, excruciating right like, yeah yeah I'm thinking back to it and I just remember thinking like you know how um you know all the advice says just sort of use the break to catch your breath and um but there isn't any like you don't yeah. have time to catch your breath mm. um so yeah the epidural was amazing um and I got maybe 45 minutes of sleep um and then I was woken up to um, the midwife and the obstetrician who was on the um, unit at the time were just saying Bubby's heart rate wasn't really coping all that well. Um, so they were having really frequent D cells and, um, yeah, they, they just weren't, they weren't happy with Baby's heart rate at the time. Mm -hmm. um, so we tried, I think at that point I was only maybe five centimetres um dilated so we tried the peanut ball um where yeah it's like that ball that you just sort of put between your legs and you lay on your side yeah but as soon as I rolled onto my side um baby's heart rate dropped in a big way um and 
our midwife pressed the emergency bell and we had lots and lots of people come into the room and the suggestion of going to theatre for an emergency cesarean was made. Um, I, I, I still to this day don't know how I had the presence of mind at that point to request that we just wait and see if baby's heart rate picked up and if I could just try. Um, I said, can you give me another hour? And if we're not there in an hour, I'll sign those papers and wheel me out and we'll go straight to theatre. But please just give me another hour. I, I said, I really want to try and do this. And they said, okay, you can have another hour. We'll be watching really closely. If there's any issues in the meantime, we, we're coming in and we're, yeah, we're doing, we'll take you to theatre. Um, so about 45 minutes or so later, they came in and they said, yeah, baby's still not really coping all that well. We don't, we don't love what um, his heart rate's doing. Um, and I said, can you check? how dilated I am and so they did a check and the midwife said oh you're, you're 10 centimeters mm. do you want to start pushing um and at that point I was so numb like the the epidural that I had was really strong like I had absolutely no sensation at all from the waist down um so pushing was a very odd experience uh, and it was very coached and, yeah, I just, like, I couldn't sense when I was having a contraction. Um, so, yeah, it was really, like, based on the midwife just telling me when and, and sort of what to do. Mm -hmm. um, and about half an hour later, uh, we hadn't really made too much progress and the doctors were really pushing to get baby out. Um so they tried using the vacuum and they tried three times with the vacuum, but it wouldn't stick uh, to his head. And I think that's possibly because of all the meconium. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, eventually uh, they said, we're going to have to use forceps. Um, baby needs to come out quickly. Um, yeah, so they, they used the forceps and um all I really remember is Cleo saying to me, don't look, just close your eyes. Um, yeah, and and then he was out and um, he was put straight onto my chest, but he was quite flat, so he needed a bit of help um, to breathe for about 40 minutes. Um, and then, yeah, he was... He was there and he was perfect. Oh, so precious. Yeah. And how were you feeling afterwards in relation to your birth? Did it take you a while to process everything that had happened or were you completely accepting? No. Um, at the time I was elated, but about two days later I came crashing down hard mm -hmm. um, and everything just sort of started coming back to me and – I mean, the hormones, you know, you're already um, a bit of a wreck. Mm. Um, but then the physical recovery and emotional recovery from that birth took a really long time. Um, and it was probably only maybe eight or nine months after that I started learning about birth trauma and sort of realising, oh, yeah, this is what I have um, this is what I experienced and um, 
yeah, it's very, it's like a PTSD sort of response. Um, and yeah, I started at that point working through, um, working through that trauma. Um, yeah. Yeah. And how did that sort of roll over into your next birth? Like, did you guys sit down and, and talk about it and decide yeah. on a different path for your next birth experience? Yeah, for sure. Um, there was a lot of talk before we even started um, trying for Charlie about um, what route we would go down, if we would um, go private this time, if I would choose an elective Caesar just to take the element of, um, I guess, give us an element of control. There was also um, a lot of thought on, on my part, not necessarily Cleo's, about doing a home birth. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, we before we even conceived, we came up with a plan uh, of what sort of model of care we would go with. Um, at the time, we had moved from Brisbane to the Gold Coast, um, so it was uh, yeah a, a different um, a different home, and there were lots of private midwives around on the Gold Coast that I uh, had sort of looked into, but um, none of them were available. Oh, this sorry, this was um, when we once we fell pregnant. Um, so, yeah, we, we decided we wanted a midwife and that was the, the model of care we were going to go with. Um, but it wasn't until we actually fell pregnant that we decided that, um, yeah, we would go with a, a midwife in the hospital system. Um, Cleo just wasn't comfortable with a home birth. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so um, we were really lucky to get into the midwifery group practice um, here again. So we had our own midwife from... Um, the start right through to yeah just just recently um, and she was absolutely incredible amazing yeah so did you jump straight into all the education for this pregnancy yeah 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 um so right from the start I was right into it I was listening to your podcast I was listening oh, nice. to other podcasts <laughs> I I was like borderline obsessed um but I just really wanted to make sure that I was prepared for any outcome this time. And I guess with working through the trauma of, the, of my first experience, um, what it sort of came down to was just that feeling of lack of being a participant in, in the birth. And so that's what Cleo and I talked about. We both didn't really feel like we were there, like we just, I mean, we, we were there, but we weren't actively participating in it. And yeah, things um, were happening to you. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's definitely the language that I would, um, that I would use. Um, so, yes, like I said, lots of reading, lots of listening to podcasts, um, lots of following different Instagram pages and, uh, yeah, just really immersing myself in, uh, in that space. And then we also booked in to do a hypnobirthing course with um, Belly to Birth uh, um, here on the Gold Coast. Awesome. Yeah, um, and that was incredible. And I would recommend hypnobirthing to absolutely anybody. Yeah. Um, yeah, that I think was a huge part of our success. Yeah, it was a really different different journey. Oh, 
fun. Yeah. And hypnobirthing also covers all of the routine birth procedures that the hospital will offer you as well, don't they? So you're educated enough to make an informed decision. Yes. Yeah, just all of the options and all of the, the different pathways that um, the birth experience can take. Um, and so even if you do have your mind set on or, or, you know, your heart set on a certain way of birthing, um, it just, yeah, it really talks you through what the other, um, what the other options are and yeah, how to navigate. Yeah. So let's jump to the end of your pregnancy now. How were you feeling and were there any signs that labor was imminent? Yeah. So I, from about 34 weeks, when did I go on mat leave? I went on mat leave at 35 weeks. It was probably about 35 weeks. I started having epic prodromal labor. So I would wake up at two o'clock in the morning and for three hours I'd be having contractions seven minutes apart um, and they would never get more intense but they were you know they were very regular and fairly convincing at times mm-hmm. um, so that started at about 35 weeks so I pretty much was on high alert from from 35 weeks um, and but there really weren't any other signs. Like it, it was just that that sort of programmer labor. And I spoke to Shari from uh, from our hypnobirthing course, and I just said to her, "What sort of things can I do to get baby into it? Because programmer labor can mean that baby just isn't in quite the right position, um, and they're trying to sort of get into um, get into position." Um, so I messaged her and I said, "What sort of things can I be doing?" and she gave me some really great tips um, of just little little exercises and little things to do to to get baby um, moving down and and into the right position. Mm-hmm. So I was doing that every night. Um, Cleo and I were practicing our hypnobirthing. It was actually a really beautiful um, a really beautiful time for us. We um, we would put Patrick to bed and then we would just go into our room and Cleo would set up the diffuser and we'd put on the hypnobirthing tracks and we'd practice like all the different like touch um there's like light touch and different um acupressure points and things like that uh and it was just really nice to be getting into that that sort of headspace together yeah so yeah I was 39 weeks and six days every night about 37 weeks every time I'd go to the bathroom I would check to see if there was because I I didn't have any signs at all with Patrick I didn't lose my mucus plug there was nothing um so with this one I was like maybe you know there'll be like a sign that'll tell me that I'm gonna go into labor like the next day or whatever and so 39 weeks and six days and just before I went to bed I went to the bathroom and I lost my mucus plug um I still have such an issue with that word. Um, <laughs> um, um, and I was so excited. Like I said to Cleo, oh, my gosh, come and look at this. And I, I showed her and she was like, oh, that's like gross but cool. Um, and I was like, no, I think that this means something's happening. Like I I just I have a feeling something's something's happening. Um, and she was like, okay, cool. Like, And I was like, you know, it could be a few days still. Um, I was really prepared in this pregnancy to go to 42 weeks so um 
so yeah, I, I was like, it still could be a few days, but this is, you know, a good sign. So we went to bed, did all our hypnobirthing stuff, went to bed, and I woke up at three o'clock on the dot. And I woke up with a, a surge. Um, and I was like, okay, like, I've, I mean, I've had this before, um, could be nothing, but, you know, just keep an eye on it. Mm-hmm. And I fell back asleep and then I woke up 20 minutes later. And then I fell back asleep and I woke up 20 minutes later. And until about 6.30, I was waking up every 20 minutes with a, with a surge. Um, and this was the first day in ages that um, Patrick had slept in. Usually he is a rise with the sun kind of guy. Um, so I just remember laying next to him. And Cleo had already left for work because she leaves at 5.30. And I hadn't said anything to her because I was sort of like, oh, maybe it's not. And I don't want her to, you know, take the day off work if it's if it's nothing. Um, so, yeah, I just was laying next to Patrick and just looking at him and thinking like, you're going to be a big brother, like, this is happening today. And and he looked so big all of a sudden. I don't know if you had that experience with Bella. Oh, but yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, just, like, all of a sudden he wasn't a baby anymore. Um, yeah. And then, um, so he woke up and um, he said, he always wakes up and says, how are you going? And I said, I'm going good, baby. How are you? And he said, I'm good. And then I said, Mummy's going to have a baby today. Um, Because I just knew at that point, like, yeah. And and he goes, yeah. And then later I've actually got a little video of me saying to him, what's Mummy doing today? And he says, going to have a little baby. Oh, bless. Yeah, so that's really cute. Um, So then, yeah, it was about – um, quarter to seven, oh, I was about seven, and I called, I messaged Cleo, and I just said, hey, I think we're on here, might want to come home from work, um, we'll probably, yeah, drop Patrick off to your mum, and then just sort of chill out for a bit, um, and then I FaceTimed my mum, or my sister and my mum, and I said to them, like, oh, yeah, I'm, like, I'm having pretty regular contractions, sort of every, I think they're every 15 minutes or so by that point. Um, and then I was talking to my mum and I was like, oh, they're actually every seven minutes. So things were starting to get, like, they, they were definitely, like, ramping up a little bit. Um, so, and then I was like to my mum, I haven't heard from Cleo. Like, I messaged her a while ago and I haven't heard back. So I got off the phone to mum and I called Cleo and, I, and she didn't answer the first call. And I was like, bloody hell, like, your wife is 40 weeks pregnant. This is literally <laughs> our due date and you're not answering your phone. Um, so then I called her straight back and she said, oh, hey, I'm just in a meeting. And I said, oh, hey, I'm just in labour. Um, and then she said to her workmates, oh, Liv's, Liv's in labour. And you just hear this big cheer, like everyone's just, Liv's in labour, yeah. Cool. And, um, and then Cleo was like, okay, I'm getting in the car now. I'll, I'll head home. Um, so while we were waiting for Cleo to get home, I just was like, um, I made Pat breakfast, I changed his nappy, got him ready for the day, made sure he had his bag all ready to go to, um, his grandma's and then Cleo got home, she went and took Pat, um, to her mum's work 
And while she was out, I was like, I'll jump in the shower because that might help me with like a bit of pain relief. But I also don't know when the next time I'm going to get to wash my hair is because I'm about to have a newborn. So I jumped in the shower, I washed my hair, I blow dried my hair, I put a little bit of makeup on. <laughs> As um, you do. <laughs> the, the, um, the contractions were super, like, just very manageable, like strong, but really like I was just breathing through them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Cleo got home and um, and I had called our midwife and our, sorry, I forgot to mention, we also had a beautiful student midwife with us through our whole journey um, who, yeah, it was just incredible. Um, so I messaged both of them, our midwife and our student midwife, and I was like, hey, um, been having contractions since three. Um, we're still, yeah, I think we're still a while off, but just letting you know, like, clear your day because, yeah, we're having a baby. Um, and, yeah, Cleo was just, like, cleaning the house because I was like, when we come home, I really just want to have, like, a nice clean house. Um, so Cleo was just going around doing all, like, some little jobs around the house and I was just bouncing on the ball. Um, I think I was watching a cooking show on Netflix or something. Um, and then... Cleo came into the bedroom and she, like, we were just doing the hypnobirthing stuff, listening to the tracks and um, doing a bit of the light touch massage. And then the contractions were pretty steadily five minutes apart. And so Cleo called our midwife and just said, hey, um, Liv's having contractions five minutes apart. Um, what? She's still talking through them. Um, what would you like us to do? And our midwife was just so so great she was just like stay at home as long as you feel comfortable too she was like i'm gonna head into the hospital and just set up um the in the birth center um but you yeah you guys just do your own thing until you're ready um to come in and um so that was nice to not have like a, a time pressure yeah. Um, what was it like for you to feel those natural surges for the first time? Oh my goodness! Just like a world of difference. Yeah. Like I, I there were points where I was like, "This can't be it." Like it just doesn't feel. Yeah, it doesn't feel anything like what I had already experienced. Yeah. Yeah, and so even when the surges were intense they they sort of built in intensity like they started off like oh okay this is the start of one oh okay this is getting a bit uncomfortable okay I can't talk for a few seconds and then like coming back down it's it's like a wave that's sort of what they explain to you in hypnobirthing that's how I experienced it mm-hmm. um yeah so we sort of just kept doing that at home for a while and it got to about nine-ish and all of a sudden I started vomiting, like, um, and, which sort of wasn't anything new to me in the pregnancy. Like I'd been, um, I'd been vomiting pretty consistently the whole time. But this was like a power spew and I was like, oh, okay, I think this might mean like, you know, things are – things are actually starting to to progress, maybe we should head in um, to the hospital. Um, so I said to Cleo, just wait till this next contraction is finished and then we'll, we'll head in. And um, 
just another funny story. We had a, uh, a landscaper doing some work in our yard that day, who's a family friend of Cleo's, and we were, like, on our way out to the car, and Cleo's like, anyway, we're just off to the hospital. Um, we'll see you tomorrow. And he was like, off to the hospital. And Cleo's like, yeah, um, Liv's in labour. Like, we're going to have the baby. <laughs> And I just remember him looking at me like, what? (laughs) And it was just like, yeah, it was broad daylight. And the only thing, like Cleo and I still say to this day, the only thing that in the labour and birth that didn't go exactly as we had pictured it was the fact that it was broad daylight. We had both pictured that it would be nighttime when, Mm. um, yeah, but um, but that was the only thing that that sort of went off script. as as we've said um yeah so we got in the car and the um the hospital's only like seven minutes from where we live um so we I think I had one contraction in the car and then one as Cleo was sort of getting the bags out of the car and then there's like a drawbridge from the um from the car park into the hospital um and I had to stop a couple of times uh on the way across and there were people sort of arriving from work. It was really weird. Oh, it must have been. Yeah, so that's right. When they um, And then we, we turned up at the hospital and it was 11 a.m. Um, when we arrived at the hospital. So, um, yeah, 11. And um, midwife met us there and took us into the birth centre. Um, and it was just the most beautiful, like, non-hospital room, this like gorgeous spa bath and the bed was just pushed to the side and there wasn't like medical equipment everywhere and our midwife had set up beautiful um like battery operated tea lights all around the room and there were lots of um, hypnobirthing affirmations all on the walls um and yeah beautiful music playing it was so just it was so perfect and the lights were all dim um yeah so we just uh pretty much chilled out for a bit. Uh, I hopped in the shower and our student midwife arrived and we were just chatting away. And I remember saying to her, because at that point I was like, we got here way too early. I am not in anywhere near enough pain. We've still got hours to go. And I said to um, our student midwife, Grace, I was like, is this boring to you? Um, her and our midwife didn't, they did not touch me. Like the only thing that they did, um, was just listen to Bubby's heart rate with the, um, Doppler and they did my blood pressure when I first got there. But beside that, they did not touch me. Um, so it was just, they just left me and Cleo to just do our own thing and they were just there like as support people. Amazing. Um, and yeah, so we were just chatting away. I was having a snack and then all of a sudden I had this massive surge like I was like oh okay this is what it's meant to feel like I yeah okay we're on here and I said to our midwife was out of the room at that point and I said to our student midwife I feel like I need to do a poo and she was like oh okay like that's you know that's a good thing like that means oh and sorry to backtrack a bit um when we first arrived, I was like leaning over the ball, and our midwife Faye said to Cliff, "There's there was sort of like a triangle of like puffiness in my lower back," and Cleo was like, "Yeah, that looks really weird," and 
our midwife was like, that means that baby's in a really good position. Like that means baby's right, right down low and, and like ready to go. Um, and I was like, I remember like even in my sort of state of not really being quite present, I was like, I remember reading about this. Like that's so cool. My body is doing this. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm doing it. Yeah, it was unreal. And, um, yeah, so then – so I said to um, Grace, I feel like I'm ready. Yeah, I feel like I need to do a poo. And she was like, okay, that's like a good thing. What would you like to do? Do you want to move somewhere else? And I'd been sort of moving around and like squatting and lunging. And I'd been in the shower and I'd be on the ball. And I was like, I think I'm ready to get into the the bath, um, the pool. And um, so Grace called Faye, our midwife, and Cleo said, can we start filling up the bath? And Faye was like, yep, absolutely, let's do it. Um, so once the bath was full, I hopped in and I think I must have started, that must have been the start of transition um, because I said to Cleo, uh, I can't do this today, let's go home, we'll try again tomorrow. Um, I, I was like, it's still going to be hours, I just, I can't do it, I can't do it today. Um and our and Faye said, Liv, you remember what this means. Like she's like, You I've we've talked about this, you talked about it in your hypnobirthing, you know what this means. You're saying you can't do it. What does it mean? And Cleo was like, It means that we're close to meeting the baby. And um Cleo was so excited to use her hypnobirthing knowledge. Um and um and then they put like a mirror under me because I was sort of on all fours in the bath and Cleo was just on the edge of the bath, just sort of coaching me through it, saying the affirmations. Um, one thing that really helped me um, was Cleo reminding me that there are thousands of other women doing this with you um, right now. And like even thinking about that now gives me goosebumps. Like mm. it made me just feel so empowered and and not that I've ever felt alone during that labor but it was really it was really reassuring to just think about that um I'm not the only person doing this right now yeah. so um yeah they put the mirror under under me and like I'm still thinking we've got hours um because I still like thinking back I don't see that any part of that experience is painful. It was intense, um, for sure. But, and Cleo has said to me, like, you definitely, the sounds you were making, you definitely were in pain at parts, but my perception of it isn't, um, isn't that it was painful. Um, so, yeah, I was still thinking, we've got a while to go. And I was still saying, no, I just, I can't, I can't do this right now. It feels like, I said, um, I think I said it feels like there's two heads. I said in all my years as a midwife, I've never seen yeah. two, two heads coming out at once. So, oh, so funny. Right. Um, and so yeah, and then um, Faye said to me, "Do you want to feel your baby's head?" And I was like, "How?" Um, and she was like, "Just feel." And so yeah, I I felt, and he was right there. Um, and I was like, oh, my gosh, like, this is happening. And 
I said, I feel like I need to, I feel like my body's pushing. Is that okay? And they said, you just do what your body's doing. Just go with, go with whatever your body's doing. Um, and because this whole time, and I think this is important to mention, I had not had an internal exam and nor had it been offered to me. Um, the midwives just trusted me and my body. And that I think is so incredibly empowering. Mm. Um, yeah. So, um, so when my body was pushing, like I actually wasn't physically doing any of the work. It was just, my body was just doing what it needed to do. Um, and there was only one point where I did push and it was just, um, his head was out, but his chin was just a little bit stuck. Uh, and Faye just said to me, just do a little push just to get his chin out and then um, you can wait. And that was the only time I, I actually um, physically pushed. And then, yeah, he, he was born into the water. And again, the only, like, the midwives did not touch me. They looped, he had a little, um, the cord just wrapped around his neck once. They looped the cord over his neck and then I pulled him up onto my chest. And yeah, he was perfect. And it was just, it was the most surreal feeling to think that I, my body could achieve that because I, I genuinely didn't think that I, not, not so much even just the birth. Like I think, um, I just being able to go into labor spontaneously was a really big thing for me. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just like I said earlier, everything felt like we had scripted it. Yeah. Like wow. it was so perfect. So beautiful. And you said that you were almost in denial that it was actual labor because you would have been, you know, subconsciously comparing it to your first experience, which was this heightened out-of-body pain. So it kind of worked in your favor, it sounds like, because, you know, by you thinking you weren't in labor because it wasn't the pain you were anticipating was probably a huge factor in why you were able to stay so calm, do you think? Yeah, for sure. Mm. Yeah, I I look back and I'm like, I was so I'm not a chill person. Just <laughs> for, for um for reference, I am pretty pretty highly strung. Um, but I was so chill from from three a.m. that first contraction to him being born. I was so relaxed and I just had so much faith in myself. Um. And also just um, faith in the team that was around me. Like I, I know that this isn't possible or even ideal for a lot of um, women because most, I would say most women or birthing people have male partners. But the all-female birth team, like how epic. Mm. Like my wife, our beautiful student midwife and our incredible midwife, like just that female energy mm. in in that space, I I think it's pretty incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How was your fourth stage birthing your placenta? Yeah, it was fine. Um, I had heard that it was that it could be um a bit excruciating, um like worse than actual birth, but. It wasn't too bad. I think I was just on a real, like, oxytocin high. Um, yeah, it took about maybe half an hour. Um, and I just, yeah, I, I had to give a couple of little pushes 
when I felt the contractions, but yeah, not um, not as bad as I was anticipating. And actually, um, when I mentioned the Oxy's race and high, I had read um, prior to giving birth that if in like an undisturbed physiological birth, that the, the birthing person's oxytocin levels are so high that other people in the room sometimes pick up on, yeah. on it and they feel that, that same high. And I 100% think that that was true. Like Cleo was bouncing off the walls. <laughs> she was like, yeah, I've never seen her like that. She was just glowing. Wow. Yeah. So special. And how was your recovery in comparison to your first birth? Oh, chalk and cheese. Yeah. Um, I so I did have a second degree tear um, this time, uh, which was just sutured in um, in the room in the birth center. Um, we went home five hours after he was born, as opposed to um, with Patrick. Uh, I think we were in for three or four nights, and for two of those days, I was I actually was unable to get out of bed like. Um, physically unable um, because of, yeah, because of the injuries um, that I had from the birth. Um, so, yeah, this time I, yeah, we walked out of hospital five hours after he was born, slept in our own bed that night. I have already returned to really light exercise. Um, yeah, I just feel, I feel so different. Yeah. Um, yeah. Amazing. And do you guys think you will go back for baby number three? Is that something you talk about or is it just too soon? <laughs> no, it's not too soon. I um, I think maybe an hour after Charlie was born, I was like, we have to do that again. Like, I, there's no way. There's no <laughs> way that that can be the last time. And, like, despite being quite unwell through my pregnancies, I love being pregnant. Yeah. Um, Might be different third time around, though. You never know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and our actually our midwife, um, we just got discharged from um, from the postnatal care. Um, she said, "I know this wasn't the last time I'll see you." Wow. She was like, "I know you'll be back for another one." <laughs> so midwives know. So, do you think you will do the same um, model of care for your next birth, or would you do something different? Oh, look, I I I still love the idea of a home birth. Um, I yeah I I absolutely love the idea of it. I even have like a spot in my house that I picture um, with the with the pool set up and and everything. Um, but I still just don't think Cleo is quite there yet. And and we did we had such a beautiful um, empowering experience in the birth center and with the MGP. Um, there's probably no point rocking the boat to be honest. Um, I'd be very happy with a similar experience. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. So to wrap up your incredible journey, what would be your key piece of advice for any expectant mothers out there listening? Yeah. Um, I think just being educated is probably just the most important thing you can do. Know your options. Whatever, whatever path you choose to go down, it's your birth. And as long as you know your options, you'll feel more empowered and more a part of the journey. Yeah. Um, I read um, recently about rather than having a birth plan, having a birth map. So to me, that would sort of look like um, this is this is ideal, 
but if this happens, then I would like this. Mm-hmm. And if this, the worst case scenario happens, this is how we can make the best out of that worst case scenario. So yeah, just having just having options, not not being super super strict on a plan, um, but then also not just going with the flow because yeah, it's um yeah, it's just it's exactly what you said. Just you will feel like things happen to you rather than you being an active participant in in that process. Yeah, awesome advice. What an amazing journey. Thank you so much for sharing it with us today, Liv. Awesome to chat. Thank you so much for having me. That brings us to the end of today's episode. There are so many similarities between mine and Liv's first birth experience. And I always find that whenever I can relate to someone's birth in this way, it really drives home for me how that cascade of interventions that can follow an induction almost always has the same pattern and I'm not saying this happens with every induction because we've heard on previous episodes that it can actually end in a beautiful way but often you hear of that similar pattern the induction becomes overwhelming because it's interrupting that natural hormonal flow with something synthetic an epidural is offered because the pain is so intense baby's heart rate drops and either an instrumental birth or a cesarean happens If this is something you are trying to avoid, Liv's story today really shows the power of getting educated about physiological birth and the system. She birthed both of her babies in a hospital setting. One ended in a cascade of interventions that left her with birth trauma, and the other was an empowering, euphoric experience that left her wanting more. The polarities are obvious, so educating yourself before you enter that system can literally transform your experience. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. If you love PBA, we would be forever grateful for a review on your podcast platform. This helps us to continue this work and reach more women who need it. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you all next week for another episode of Positive Birth Australia.